Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to show 266 of Engage for Success Radio, What Drives Exceptional Customer Service. Today we're going to be talking about our guest's experience of what drives exceptional customer service gleaned from years of working with organizations leading the way and those aspiring to get there. I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage for Success core team. The Engage for Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, and we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private, and third sectors. If you go to our website, engageforsuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list, and all our social media links are there too. So my guest today is Sally Earnshaw, MD of Blue Sky Performance. Hi, Sally. Thanks for joining me. Hello, Joe. Thanks for having me. So start by telling us a bit about uh, who you are and uh, who Blue Sky Performance are or what you do at Blue Sky Performance. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, so um, as you say, my name is Sally Earnshaw and I've been um, working at Blue Sky for over 10 years now. And we have um, the wonderful role in in society of supporting organisations in driving both the customer experience agenda, but also um, the people engagement agenda clearly as a part of that. So we work with some of the most interesting and exceptional global brands, um, you know, mostly my companies my kids see on the telly and I go, mommy works with them. Um, mm-hmm. So really, really interesting, interesting role. So I hope I can share some insights today. Lovely. So you've written a book which is called Crack the Code, Upgrade Your Customer Experience One Conversation at a Time. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the phrases you use in that book is that we're all in sales and service jobs nowadays. So expand on that a bit more and, and let's talk about what, what that means within organisations. Sure. So this is quite an interesting one. I think if we um, if we go back to the old economy, I'm going to put a year around that, but you know, we go back we go back 15, 20 years. Um, it, it used to be that the job of customer service sat within the customer service team and usually headed up by a customer service director, and then there'd be a whole other silo somewhere else dealing with sales and um, you know, and maybe some production or fulfilment somewhere in the middle, and um, and then some periphery teams around the outside. But as we know, in the new economy. The world's all gone a bit digi-doodle and slightly omni-channel mad, and so now customers can connect with organisations in just a multitude of different ways, multitude of different channels. You know, we we don't just interact through one um, point of contact with companies, but we're often um, interacting, you know, online on our devices, um, still on telephony channels, and in a whole host of other ways. And so, you know, the challenge for organisations today is is that it's very difficult to work out exactly where contact is being made and therefore across the whole organization it's becoming everybody's responsibility now to be focused on how do we um how do we get the most from the contact that's being made but also how do we make sure that across all of those different plethora of ways of interacting with our organization we're maximizing the value through the conversations that we're having so um you know in the new economy it's not just about sales or service it's much everybody's role now is to make sure that if a customer touches the organization we're having the right conversation to drive exactly the right um, engagement with our customers which is a massive shift from what we would have seen a few years ago Mm. So why do you think so many companies aren't getting it right? Well, this see, this is interesting, right? Because um, 
when you think about that, you would think that you know, given that there's so much more contact from it coming from customers and so much more opportunity um, to have great conversations and deliver value, that organisations would be focusing massively on investing in people to enable them to you know, really understand the change that's required now in the way that we deal with customers, but also to really invest in getting the, the power from our people in the spirit of, um, of delivering for our customers. But what's quite interesting is we're almost seeing a little bit of the opposite. So Corn Ferry did, um, did a brilliant study recently of 800 global chief executives and um, there's quite some quite interesting outcomes. Uh, what the report said was that 64% of those 800 global CEOs actually saw the people in their organizations as a bottom line cost rather than a value generator. Um, but also that 40% of those CEOs were more likely to focus their investments towards you know, the tangible, the stuff you can buy in a box, the, the technology that's going to deliver, um, you know, going digital, and much less likely actually to invest in people, which, you know, is um, maybe not so surprising given, given that everybody's so focused on, um, you know, on digital transformation these days. But I think slightly concerning given that, you know, we've got such huge numbers of people in organizations who, um, you know, we need to unlock the potential of to enable not only better conversations with customers, but also to enable the significant changes that organizations will go through over the next few years. So I think that research is, is quite interesting. And I think that some organizations, not all, but some organizations are potentially missing a little bit of a trick because actually it's the people in the organization, in my humble opinion, that are going to drive us through this massive uh, you know, corporate transformation that we're seeing. It's interesting. When I used to uh, specialize in social media, and when I started doing training with corporates around that, there was always lots of concern about sort of trust. You know, can we let our people loose, if you like, on social media uh, in front of them and to talk to our customers and and you know being a, a former retailer myself I always used to say well you know we used to trust all of our staff to deal with customers every minute of the day because that's what you know retail's about uh, why would you not yeah. do that um, do you yeah. think that that's some of this as well that you know that, that it's sort of you know the, the the channel to deal with the customers is just this one and and if if it sort of expands to the whole organisation then we've got to take a different perspective which is, is quite scary for organizations i think it is and you know i completely agree so when you think about um when you think about the traditional channels so the telephony channels and the retail channels which we you know we all know and love what drives a brilliant customer experience in those channels is is when the individual who is you know we'll come on to the whole climate piece in a minute but you know the individual who is um, engaged enough sufficiently to want to do something to knock it out of the path for that customer and actually it's the personality in the conversation um, you know almost like the the boundless conversation that they're allowed to have that's not driven by frameworks and you know say these say these things in this manner but actually be yourself and do something amazing for the customer that we know that that's when you drive a great experience what's interesting is there's millions of those conversations going on in retail stores and in in uh, contact centers every day and nobody worries too much about personality. The funny thing is, the minute you write it down, so the minute it's an email or it's on social media, then there seems to be more of a corporate um, concern, if you like, about 
what might happen to that content. But because we're allowing our people the freedom to say whatever they like in stores and, and telephony channels, and actually they're doing a pretty good job. So my view would be that we should we should unleash the power of the personality in our <laughs> conversations with customers because there are so many. You see, you know, the ones that go viral, um, we've all mm-hmm. seen examples of them. But you know, the ones where companies are fully trusting of their people to do what's right in the moment to really operate with the with the personality that the customer's giving back you see brilliant examples don't you where you know uh, people have, there was a, there was one on the radio recently i was listening to where somebody had written a poem about a parking fine and the local council had actually replied back with a poem and just, <laughs> it's brilliant who would have expected that a local council wrote a poem and um and it's those sorts of things that i think deliver amazing customer experiences but organizations have to trust the people to do what's right and and that is a big challenge as we know massive challenge yeah yeah so it's that sort of trust it's also that sort of bring your whole self to work thing that we talk about within the movement a lot and in fact another example of the one you've just used was the um the person who applied to um is it UCAS um to to go to Hogwarts um and they (laughs) replied you know and sort of humored the person and said you know you needed to have a levels in wizardry and something else and something else in order to get through so it was you know and again that that goes viral it creates a, a sort of great um sort of view of, the, of that organization and that they have got that sort of personality and flexibility uh and yeah. you know it, it certainly cha- you know transformed my view of a number of organizations that the other one that i think one of the first ones that went really far was the o2 when they had that massive outage a number of years ago and people were being really quite aggressive, weren't they, to the to the um, social media, and and they were re- yeah. replying in kind in some cases, you know, completely inappropriately un- under normal circumstances, but it just seemed to hit the right tone for that particular situation. So, uh, yeah. so, so there are companies who are known to be getting it right. They're they're you know often ranked as being you know the the best for customer service, and they appear in you know best companies. Um, yeah, competitions and you know rankings and so on. So, what are they doing differently, or what what have they understood that other people haven't? I'm so glad you asked me that because this is exactly where the conversation was going. So, when we talk about those, you know, the poem that gets sent to the customer, it's interesting, right? So if you ask, if you've got 500 leaders of, um, you know, global brands in a room, and you say, put your hands up if you want to create a service experience that looks like that, 500 leaders will absolutely 100% put their hands up because everybody wants to create it. The intent is there, right? If you ask the same 500 leaders, you know, so what, what does it look like? I think we'd all have a fairly similar, um, you know, view of what a great experience is. And as you and I have just done, we, we all share the stories of when it's worked really well. Um, but if you ask those same 500 leaders, so what is it that those best four customer experience organizations are doing? What is it that they're doing inside the four walls of the organization um, to enable and allow and to create and to inspire that to show up Every single day through every single employee. Now, that's where 500 leaders will start to draw a little bit of a blank. And a, a sizable uh, majority of those leaders will put, in my experience, because I ask that question a lot when I'm keynoting, um, a sizable proportion of them will point to process. So they'll say, well, Amazon are awesome because, you know, they've got amazing technology. Um, and a very small number, actually, will, will point to actually where I think the magic happens, which is culture. And, you know, when you, you look at service experiences, a lot of emphasis placed on on the front end, so the you know the design of it, the the how it needs to show up, and frameworks, and technology, and channels, and all of that stuff at the front end. But the truth is, the best of service organisations um, have really cracked what we would class as the code on creating a a culture, a climate, as we call it, a blue sky, a climate 
where that experience can thrive every single day through every single employee. It is fundamentally about the culture uh, that you create on the inside of the organization. And mm. there are a, I mean, there are lots of different ways of doing it, and all of these best-of-service companies, um, you know, they, they all have very different cultures. So you may have heard of Zappos. That's a very different corporate culture from, uh, you know, maybe somebody in banking. But there, there does seem to be a number of things um, that they all consistently do um, do really, really well. So I, I, if you want me to share a few examples of those just to yes, kind of please. give you a sense of what I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. First and foremost, when we start at the top of, top of the organization, we notice that in those best for people and customer organizations, there is an absolute clarity um, on what the organization stands for where people and customer are concerned. So I'm not talking about um, you know, a vision statement or even you know, a purpose statement. Yes, those things are all good and we should have vision and purpose and values and they're all structurally a good way to define the organization. Um, but the best of service companies and the best of people custom companies are really clear on what they stand for in terms of the customer experience that they're trying to deliver. So when you think about um, an Amazon, we would all kind of know that that's, you know, they're all about the one click, which causes me a massive problem in my family with teenage daughters. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> the one click thing, um, you know, which is very different from, if you remember M&S back in the day, they were all about, uh, you know, a no quibble refund, which served us all well when we needed a little black dress for a Saturday night. But, you know, these companies have been very clear on what they stand for. So clarity is at the heart of it, but then what they do really, really well is engage the whole organisation around what that means for every single person in the organization and, and how um, you know, there's an expectation around how everybody would deliver against that. And what we find when we're working with, um, you know, have the privilege of working with lots of um, really famous companies, but what you find is there's often not that clarity. So everyone just says, let's be great for customers. Well, what does that really mean? What do we really stand for? And there's often a real void in the the stories that then cascade through the organization that demonstrate and guide that kind of north star of what we stand for so when we go into organizations you know we um we ask two questions of every employee number one do you know what the organization stands for from a customer experience perspective and secondly do you know what that means for your role and how you would deliver against that and it's surprising actually at how how little um, clarity exists in organizations around that sort of thing. And um, you know, when we think about the culture of an organization, it is largely just the collection of stories and myths that the, that the group believes in. And in an, in an absence of stories that perpetuate the, what we want to stand for, people kind of make their own stuff up. And, and that's when you start to get not very good service and not very good you know, product execution because there is a real lack of clarity around what it is that we stand for. When you look at the best of service organizations, they're brilliant, not only at um, you know, cascading that sense of what we stand for through the organization, but leaders symbolically demonstrate commitment to that through the actions they take. So a few examples, in one organization we know the higher up the food chain you go, the further away from the building you park, thus demonstrating that senior leaders are less important than our frontline teams. Absolutely 100% correct in my opinion, and therefore they do the park and ride and our frontline employees get access to the spaces that mean that they can be ready to serve. It's a really great demonstration of commitment to people and customer. In another one, first person um, who arrives at the board meeting every month gets a seat at the table. So they have you know, cleaners queuing up every month. But, you know, the, the point <laughs> being, our people have as big a voice 
as our board members in, in the direction of the company. And literally, the book's littered with hundreds of these examples, but you kind of get the point right. If you really, if you really want to knock it out of the park for customer, clarity, execution of story, and, um, and then symbolically demonstrating commitment. But, but sadly, all too often, I work with leadership teams who will um, you know, very quickly talk themselves out of the symbolic action part of it. <laughs> Let me mm. tell you. <laughs> Once they realise they've got to park a bit further away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, as it, I don't know if yeah. you know um, Zappos as a company, very good, very yeah. good company that's, you know, I mean, I think everybody knows Zappos, right? Well, in one of their symbolic actions is every month their finance people um, do a, a kind of a random act of kindness patrol where they walk around the organisation actually wearing hats and shorts and stuff. Most finance people, you know, recoil when I tell this story, but, um, and they just randomly find somebody to do something nice to. That's demonstrated that even finance people can be nice to people. So, you know, these symbolic actions exist in lots and lots of companies, but, you know, the, the truth is, in the not-so-best-for-service companies, we're missing a massive trick there. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I think I've shared this example on, on a previous show, but I worked with Staples when they first came to the UK um, sort of yeah. 30 years ago now, and it was very much the sort of US customer service culture. And a couple of things, well, yeah. three things, actually. The, 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 um, the operations director used to model the customer service he expected. So when he was in stores, he wouldn't walk down an aisle and not talk to all of the customers on the way down the aisle. He would talk to all of them yeah. because that's what he expected the associates to do, um, which, yeah. which was powerful for me coming from a big supermarket company where, you know, suits never talk to customers. <laughs> Unless they had to, they yeah. had to. There you go. Um, secondly, um, we had... Uh, we all wore the uniform as head office staff. We went in in T-shirts and, and jeans, the same as all the staff did in stores. And when that changed, yeah. when the new chief exec came and didn't like wearing jeans and T-shirts and he went into suits, it affected the culture of the whole organization yeah. and, and that sort of, as you say, the symbolic uh, stuff. Um, and then just lastly, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. We had somebody where we used to say customers, the answer to the customer is yes, you've just got to work out how to make that happen. And we did lots of training. Yeah. And then on the first day of a new store opening, I overheard somebody say to one of our customers, I'm sorry, we don't have any customer toilets. And I went running over and said, oh, no problem. You can use our toilets. Here you go. You know, and off I trotted and sorted it out. And I went back to the person and said, why did you say that? And she said, oh, we weren't allowed to let them use the customer toilets at my last company. And it, for me, it was sort of like um, yeah. institutional training if you like that you know we couldn't change that immediately and as you say I guess the question uh, the stories and the experiences that she went on to have will have changed her view of that but it's funny how people have these things in their heads don't they yeah totally I mean I was with um so, so I was doing a, a keynote at a customer experience event recently and um one of the directors from Metrobank was up before me doing a doing a keynote speech about Metrobank um we don't work with Metrobank so I feel free to speak freely about what he was saying um but I mean again awesome they do so many to your point around the the saying yes to customers they have a philosophy in Metrobank uh, which is called it takes one person to say yes and two people to say no so if we're about to say no to a customer <laughs> We have to make sure that somebody else has also just validated that it's the right thing to do, which I thought was oh, brilliant yeah. little symbolic philosophy. They also do a thing called um, Red Friday because Metrobank is um, uh, like their branding is, is quite red. If you walk mm-hmm. in, this is like, you know, people should take this down, right? If you walk into a Metrobank on a Friday wearing red, you will get a prize because they celebrate Metrobank Red Friday <laughs> on a Friday. <laughs> so, <laughs> which I just thought was amazing um, and they do a thing well, called the, the smile 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so wearing red next Friday when I go out in town. Um, and um, they do a thing called the smile test, where if you're in your, in, in fact, the recruitment process of best of service companies is often a massive differentiator. So in Metrobank, they have the smile test. They have a view that if you can't smile at least once through your interview process, the chances of you smiling in front of a customer are slim and none. Therefore, it doesn't matter how experienced you are, you're not getting in. Um, but also there's a, another couple of companies that do some brilliant recruitment practices. Um, so I don't know if you've heard of um, Southwest Airlines. Yeah. Um, again, you know, renowned for their service experience. In fact, probably most famous for their video of the um, the guy rapping on the plane, which went very viral. Yeah. We, we use that a lot for permission culture and personality at work. But um, they um, they have a number of brilliant recruitment practices. Um, one is the bus driver test. So on, as part of your recruitment, you go around the campus and the bus driver takes you on a tour and the bus driver gives feedback on how people were when they got on the bus and if they weren't polite, they don't get to the next round. So all of these you know, really interesting ways of making sure that you're hiring for culture and not just for experience. And we've been banging on about this for years, haven't we, in the employee engagement space and yet still... Um, you know, I find companies are missing a trick, and yet the ones mm. that get up there in the rankings are the ones that are just doing those little differentiators through um, through the way that we hire, but also the way that we engage our people. Mm. So, one of the things, the pushbacks I get when I talk to to leaders about um, engagement within organisations is is that thing about oh well, you know, it's not ours, it's them upstairs sort of thing. You know, we 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 can only do what we can only do, and and of course I say, well, you're right. <laughs> So what are you going to do differently? <laughs> um, so it strikes me the same with this. You know that if you've got absolute clarity of what you stand for, you've engaged the whole organisation around it. Great, you know, job done. But that doesn't always happen at that very senior level. But you know, leaders at all levels have some sort of opportunity here. What, what do you suggest for people listening who may feel that their organisation isn't quite doing this, and they may not be, uh, you know, senior enough to impact it at the top level? But what can they do within their sphere of influence? Well, so to your point exactly, so our view would be, do you know what, even if the organisation around you isn't maybe as up to scratch or as up to standard as you would like, our view would be you're the CEO of your own little business, right? So even if you're a team leader in a call centre, what's to stop you from um, defining that clarity for your own team? You know, you, so you can apply this at any level in an organisation. Obviously, if you want to be a best-for-service company, got to start at the top. If you want to be a best of service knock it out of the park team, then it starts with you. And so there's nothing to stop any leader in the organization. And in fact, we quite often work with, you know, business units within big corporates or divisions within, you know, so um, it starts with any with any single person or leadership team in whatever your remit is. And, and that team can create their own clarity around the type of experience that they want to, to deliver for their customers. Um, and they can absolutely role model and sim- symbolically demonstrate commitment um, you know, to that every single day. So I, I kind of go start small if you're part of an organization that's not necessarily um, doing some of those things. But I'd also say, um, because there was a brilliant um, Harvard article a few years ago now about what they call tempered radicals. And, you know, I... We do find that there's quite often a collective mindset in organisations, which is we, we can't make a difference. Um, and actually, every single person within an organisation does make a difference, and it requires us all to, um, to try. To, we, have, we have a thing called the accountability ladder, and the bottom rungs are basically, you know, blame others, make excuses, I didn't know, or wait and hope. I think a lot of people sit at wait and hope, actually. It's like, you know, if I, <laughs> if I just do the day job, uh, maybe it will change around me. Um, 
but those are those are kind of bottom of the ladder ways of operating. And actually, when you're sitting on any of those, nothing changes. You're not really architecting any change around you. Whereas above the line, you've got acknowledge reality. What part could I play? Find a solution and make something happen. And it's those wrongs that say, you know. What could I influence? What conversation could I have that might make that better? Who should I tell? Um, what team can I connect and engage with to help us move something forward? So I kind of feel like you should be in charge of your own universe, but I also feel like we should all jump out of bed in the morning with a view that we can change stuff. I think we can. And mm-hmm. the Harvard article, we've got about temp- if we were all just tempered radicals, you know, people who wanted to make a difference in a marginally tempered way, we don't all need to change the world, um, but we would create ripples that would massively make a difference. And I really believe that. And often when we're working with, um, you know, with teams of people and we use the accountability ladder, you know what, small changes happen and those small changes collectively make a big difference. And eventually we do end up influencing a bigger part of the organisation and not just our own remit. So I would mm. definitely... Um, you know, try and inspire that kind of mindset in our in our less senior leaders for sure. Mm. And we've talked about storytelling being important throughout the organisation. Is, is there an opportunity to to use that sort of across and up upwards, if you like, to 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 start to push those changes when you have made those positive changes in your own team? Oh, absolutely. Stor- storytelling underpins everything um, in organisations, and and particularly when you think about we've talked a lot about storytelling for the purpose of in, you know, engagement in what we stand for. But when you think about, um, I suppose, what really separates the good from the brilliant in service experience, it's the amount of permission people feel that they have for maybe stepping outside of process. So, you know, at Blue Sky, we agree every organisation needs rules, right? Rules are good. So 80% of your organisation probably operates really well from people knowing what needs to be done, process happens, and, and everything works. Totally agreed. But the percentage of situations that will occur where the process won't accommodate what needs to be done. And we've all been there, right, as customers, where um, the situation and the context doesn't, doesn't meet what the process is telling the advisor to tell you to do. And you need them to do something different. You need them to just break that process or bend the rule or try something else in order to, you know, to, to deliver for you. And the organizations that get this really well are those where those people feel like, those frontline teams feel like they have some degree of autonomy and permission to do what's right for customer. And the only way that you can create um, that sense of autonomy, because leaders want to kind of create a process out of everything, so they think that if they come up with an autonomy framework that that will work. The truth is, the only way to create a culture of permission, um, because this is where the rules don't work, is where you have inspired um, an abundance of stories that tell the stories of when we did knock it out for a part for a customer and we did something different, we bent a rule, we broke a rule, whatever it was, and the organization applauded us for doing it. And that, for me, is the job of every single leader and manager in the organization is to cascade those stories, is to share them across the organization because the organizations that are abundant in those kinds of stories, you know, over here, this person, customer left a bag in a trolley, so, you know, little Johnny grabbed the bag and ran three miles down the road to give the customer the handbag back. That's a great... I don't know if that's real, but, you know, um, that's a great story. And the interesting thing is the best of service companies have an abundance of stories that we all actually know. Like, there's stories from First Direct that I share and stories from other organisations that are stories that we've all heard that came from the inside of those companies. And when I work with those organisations that are struggling to rise up the rankings, again, when you ask the stories of, you know, where have we done something that was outside a process that we all applauded and said, yeah, everybody should know that they can do that. 
we're, we're lacking. And so storytelling, it's not just about you know, what we stand for. It's about here are all the examples of where somebody did something right for customer and we want you to absolutely know that you can do that too. And mm-hmm. then you start to create a real climate of people feeling you know, engaged and empowered. And then that's a massive part of what gets us to get out of bed in the morning, right? When you feel like you've got freedom to do what's right for customer. Most frontline mm-hmm. teams really want to do what's right for customer. They're just hampered by the frameworks that they think they've got to operate in. And um, mm-hmm. you know, a bit of freedom and responsibility, as Netflix would say, goes a very long way. Yeah, and I guess those stories are that 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 bit that that create reality. It's all well and good saying we want you to do X, Y, and Z, but until people have seen yeah. people doing it, and as you say, being applauded for it, no one really believes it, do they? <laughs> they think it might be exactly. career writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, and like you say, the person that you spoke about before, um, where you worked previously, they they people will come with a set of with their own framework from wherever they've worked before. So the mm. only way that you unlock that, you can't train that in. This is about, um, I mean, you can train a lot of the, the skill and the kind of the processing, but the knowing what I'm allowed to do, what I've got the freedom to do in pursuit of what we stand for as an organization, that has to come from the stories that exist. Um, and, and that's everybody's responsibility to share those. Um, so yeah. we need storytellers in all, yeah. of our, all of our leaders and managers need to be really good storytellers. Yeah. <laughs> lovely thank you so much Sally it's been such a good show um, I said that, that before we came on air that uh, customer service is one of my, my things so I've really enjoyed speaking to you today I really appreciate it you're very welcome thank you for having me so just to let you know that next week Joe Moffat is back and she's speaking with the record breaking guest uh, Sam Dawson and he's record breaking because he's coming back to the show for the fourth time Um, And they'll be talking with Sam's colleague, Rob, about why work relationships, conversations and feedback matter. So we look forward to speaking to you next week. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.